Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You were severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So often, the first Sunday of the year, many pastors use this as an opportunity to talk about New Year's resolutions. What are the ways that you are going to be a better you in the new year? But that's not what we're going to do this morning, because as a pastor, can I confess, I'm really not all that concerned with you becoming a better you. In fact, that's actually one of the worst things that we could devote ourselves to, because the scriptures tell us that the last thing that you need is to be more like you. Actually, what you need is to be more like Christ. And so that is our purpose today, and my prayer for myself and for our church and for Everyone who is here this morning is that in the new year, that would be the pursuit of our heart, becoming more like Jesus in the whole of our lives. And that, guys, is the essence of discipleship. And discipleship is the purpose of the church. It is the reason why we exist. We have been sent as the church to make disciples. So today I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a sort of resolution for this new year. And it's summed up in what is essentially Paul's thesis statement for this whole chapter in the book of Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So let's take a moment and just outline this real quick. First, Paul says that Jesus' purpose in performing his saving work on the cross is our freedom. It is for freedom that you have been sent free. When we are walking in freedom, then Jesus' purposes are being fulfilled in us. 
When we are walking in slavery, however, his purpose is not fulfilled in us. His desire clearly is that we would experience true freedom. And what Paul's saying to the Galatians, and what I believe he's saying to many of us today, myself included, is that you can claim Christ all you want. But if you are still a slave to something other than Jesus, then the purpose for which he came is perhaps not being fully realized in you. You following me? So you can claim Jesus all you want. But if in reality you are still actually a slave to something else, then it is possible that the purpose for which he came is not being fully realized in you. So Paul gives this counsel to the church in Galatia. If you have heard and received the gospel that has been preached to you, if you have placed your faith in Christ and received the freedom that Jesus offers to us, then the task that is ahead of you is this. It is the task of standing firm, not turning back to what used to be your master or master's, but instead pursuing this new, narrow path that is found only in Christ, not again submitting to the yoke of slavery. And so he says, because, because this is our new task, right? And because our nature, our sin nature, is to want to give ourselves to things that are not Jesus. Our sin nature is to want to submit to other forms of slavery, our sin nature is to be controlled by things that are not Jesus. Because that is true of us, it is all the more important that we devote ourselves to standing firm in the gospel. The deception of the enemy is such, though, that often slaveries trick us. Often these other masters, these other idols trick us because on the surface, they don't appear to be physically oppressive to us. And yet if you could just get the ability to just zoom out and see how submitting yourself to something other than Jesus affects you, then you would see that slowly over time, we very easily veer away from the truth of the gospel. Now, in the particular context of Galatians, this was a slavery, this sounds strange, but this was a slavery to the law of Moses, or at least to some facets of the law of Moses. That's why Paul's talking so much about circumcision here. You had a group of people in the New Testament who wanted to say, yes, Jesus, but also the law. Yes, freedom in Christ, but yet we also have to do what Moses, our forefather, taught us to do, in particular, circumcision. So this enslavement was enticing to people because it seemed right. It seemed, why wouldn't this be the case? But, but here was the problem. They claimed Christ but at the same time actually believed it was the law, actually believed it was some of their own actions that would save them. So it was Jesus plus other things. They believed that if they were going to be justified or made right before God, then perhaps they also had to be circumcised. In other words, Jesus alone isn't enough. So hopefully you can understand Paul's tone a little bit in verse 12 when he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And that's, that's some strong language. One translation reads, I wish they would go the whole way. In other words, if you really believe that circumcision is something that can save you, 
or that it's somehow essential for your salvation, then why don't you just start cutting off other body parts as well, right? Why not cut off your, if your arm causes you to sin, doesn't Jesus say things like that? If your eye causes you to sin, why don't you gouge it out? Why don't you just eliminate your whole self along the way? Jesus alone is enough. The gospel is not Jesus plus other things. It's not the work of Christ plus your own work. It is Christ alone. Turn with me real quick over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul dives deeper into this idea in this passage. <coughs> Romans 8. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so stop right there for a moment. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now notice that that is a complete thought. Not Jesus plus something. Not Jesus and some action on your part. No, there is now no condemnation if you are, quote, in Christ. What matters here is that you are in Christ. This is also a conclusion to several chapters in Romans of Paul expounding on this new life in Christ apart from the law. Let's read on, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice that. Notice what he said. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in Christ... We are free from having to worry about condemnation. Amen? We're in Christ. That's no longer on our shoulders. We are free, if we are in Christ, from being ruled by sin. Amen? If, if we are in Christ, we are free from the penalty of death. This is because God has done through Christ what we could not do under the law. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't follow the law well enough. If you think you can, just go read the Old Testament. <clears throat> All we can really do is stand condemned by the law. And in Romans 7, Paul basically says, you know, the law is good because the law taught me what it is to covet. But at the same time, he says, the law was death to me. Because at the same time as it was teaching me what it was to covet, it was also convicting me of the fact that I am horribly covetous. That's how the law works. So the law cannot save. It can really only convict. But, but now, through Christ, the righteous requirement, the requirement of sinlessness and perfection, the requirement that we would be holy in the way that God holy, because of Christ, the righteous requirement of the law is actually fulfilled in us. Man, what, what incredible news. 
The thing that we could never do, Jesus has now done on our behalf. And the spirit of life, he says, has come to dwell within us. So, so the question is not, are you circumcised? That, that's not the question. The question is not, have you followed the law? The question is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Has your faith been placed in him? Is he your savior? Or are you really looking to something else to save you? Is it true freedom that you find? And, and by the way, freedom is a bit of a dicey word. We use that word in a number of different ways. And I just want to point out to you this morning, the freedom that Christ brings us is not this American libertarian notion of freedom. Oftentimes when we talk about freedom here in America, as a country that is built on the concept of freedom, we are also often talking about this notion that we would be free to do whatever we want, right? That we would have freedom of speech. I can say what I want to say. I'm free to own my own property, right? Those are things that are kind of central to our American understanding of freedom. But Paul says that the freedom we find in Christ is in some ways the opposite of that. The freedom that we're often pursuing outside of Christ is the freedom of the flesh. It's the freedom to do exactly what I want rather than the freedom to do what Christ desires for me. Those are two very, very different things. If we pursue one over the other, it is to our detriment and our death. Paul paints this picture that we can either walk by the Spirit, in the Spirit, resting in the finished work of Jesus, or we can walk in the flesh, doing what we want, basing our hope of salvation on our own works or our own righteousness or our own goodness or our own morality. But that is not the path of life. The path of life is not based on our work. It's based on Jesus' work. Again, in Romans 8, verse 5, Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, or you could say if you are in Christ, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So if the freedom that I'm seeking after is a freedom that is based on doing what I want, or it's a freedom that's based on my effort or my value or my goodness, Paul says that that is a freedom based on the flesh that will only lead to death. It is the illusion of freedom. It is the illusion of freedom. But if your freedom 
If the freedom that you're pursuing is not based on you, but on Christ alone, then two key things will happen. First of all, if your freedom is based on Jesus' work, then you will seek to set your mind, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, which will free you from enslavement to sin. Doesn't mean you will never sin, but it will free you from being ruled by sin. And Jesus' salvation frees us from the consequences of our sin, and from sin being our master. And second, it will free you from death, because it is only through Christ that God's wrath towards sin is satisfied, and it is only through him in you, and you in him, that God can look at you and feel that you, in some way, are worthy to be adopted into his holy family as a beloved son or daughter. So, so, guys, this is central to Paul's understanding of the gospel itself, the good news of Jesus. It explains his dismay with the Galatians, who in some ways were trying to rely on their own abilities to be justified or to be made right before God. Let's go back to Galatians 5 where we started. Look at verse 7. <coughs> Paul says, you were running well, like things were, things were going okay. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. By, by the way, notice oftentimes if you ever use that phrase, notice most of the time it's being used in the positive sense, right? It, maybe if we can just inject a little positivity into some kind of situation that that will expand and it will take over the whole thing. Notice that Paul's actually using that expression in the negative sense, right? He, he's, he's looking at this whole situation and he's thinking somebody, somebody has kind of infiltrated this church setting where I had preached the gospel to them. Somebody has kind of put this bug in their ear that Jesus is not enough and slowly, just like yeast, that is starting to infiltrate the whole thing. So, so this can go both ways. And it's insidious. Because what can happen is slight untruths that, that like sound right and seem right can enter into the church and then can just infiltrate the whole thing. Isn't that how the enemy works? Right? The enemy often doesn't deal in just outright untruths. The enemy deals in shades of gray. Things that seem kind of right, things that maybe sound right, but when you really dig into it and explore it, you recognize, no, 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 this is leading us off the path of Jesus. This is leading us to trust in some way in ourselves. Paul says things were going good. What in the world happened? In verse 10, Paul seems very concerned. Hey, there's somebody here that is among you who is leading you to adopt this view that somehow circumcision is this for the justification of God. But, but it, only, it only takes one person, y'all. It only takes one person. This is why throughout the New Testament we are told to be on guard. It's why elders in the church and pastors and deacons within the church are given this task of actually being vigilant. Why? Because the enemy does what? He's, he's prowling around. And that's not just in your own life as an individual. The sin that the enemy could bring to bear in your own life could then infiltrate the whole body. Those things are real potentials, and we have seen that take place in the church over the last 50-plus years, well, really, throughout the entire history of the church. 
we see evil in Israel. Paul's saying, don't you realize that Jesus came so that you could be free? Not enslaved to more things, not enslaved to more rules and regulations, but don't you realize that he has come to set you free? So, so hopefully, hopefully we grasp that simple truth, that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But listen, we all still face significant daily temptation to submit not to Jesus, but to submit once again to the yoke of slavery. We submit, we, we experience significant daily temptations today. So many of us, it's not just that we're being tempted, it, it's that we are giving in. Right? For many of us, every day we're submitting back again to the yoke of slavery. And let's be real. This is true for most of us. We are often giving ourselves over to things that are not Jesus, maybe not in the whole of our lives, but in pieces of our lives. And my contention is that one of the primary motivators in us giving ourselves over to things that are not Christ is just simply our own fear. Our own fear. When, when we are afraid, we look for saviors. Right? When we are scared, we look for protectors. We look for things that can save us. We see this in politics all the time. And never before in human history has it been more true that we are looking to technology to be our savior. To the point that many of us have become enslaved to technology. And, and think about the way that most technology is marketed to you. How is most technology marketed to you? It is marketed to you based largely on fear. You need the fancy camera doorbell at your house, right? Because if you don't have that, the people are going to be stealing packages off your porch left and right. You need the Wi-Fi cameras within your house because you're going to catch the people who are breaking into your house, right? Your 10-year-old needs that cell phone because, God forbid, they not be in communication with you for two seconds. You just go on and on and on and on. There are all of these fear-based justifications that we have to submit more and more of ourselves and our lives over to technology. You need to be on social media because you're afraid that maybe people aren't thinking about me. Maybe people don't remember me. Maybe people aren't concerned about my life. It's a vicious cycle. Many of us will say, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Weston, but listen, the world is more dangerous now than it's ever been. I don't think that's true. The world has always been a place of great sin. Again, I, I encourage you to read the Old Testament. Things seem a lot worse when you read the book of Exodus than they do in my life now. The world has always been a place of violence and sin and death and crime and terrible things. Read a history of the Middle Ages sometime. However, now... Because of technology, you are far more aware of every heinous thing that is happening all over the world. Before that, people were mostly oblivious to things that were happening around the world. You were aware of what was happening in your area, or in your neighborhood, or in your city, maybe in your state. But then outside of that, there was a time when that just wasn't information that we received. Here's the thing, guys. 
We were not created to be omniscient. Do you, do you know what it means to be omniscient? It's, it's actually a characteristic of God. He is all-knowing. All knowledge is his. And it's not just what you're doing right now. He knows everything about everything. What you're thinking, what you're feeling, everything. He knows what has been, what will be. And some of what I wonder is, are we pursuing omniscience? Are, are we seeking to have all information at our fingertips? Is that actually something that we lust after and long for because it somehow brings us some degree of security? Or, or we think it will bring us some degree of security? I, I actually think it only really produces more fear within us because we were not created to be omniscient. Our pursuit of all information at our fingertips is at all times, right? It's not just sometimes, all the time. Is really no different than the people of the Old Testament who thought that they would try to build a tower to heaven. They thought, you know, we have the technology to do this, to build this tower, and if we just keep going, and if we just keep building, eventually we will become gods. And then we will be our own saviors. How'd that go for them? Do you see how foolish this is? I, you know, you may go, what in the world does this have to do with this text? But many of us are seeking to submit ourselves to this in the hope that somehow it will save us. Our family's attempting a, a sort of fast or detox from technology here in the month of January, and it has already been extremely difficult because we're so accustomed to the ease of technology. We're so accustomed to the way that it makes our lives better. Already, it's been difficult to not turn on the TV. When we have a question about something, or what happened over here in this situation, or I wonder what this person is up to, our natural inclination is to pull out the phone and immediately start looking it up. So Paul says, stand firm. Many of us are not even aware of the things in our lives that we are seeking to find hope in, or the things that we're seeking to find peace or protection in. But what is the answer to all of this? Paul says, verse 16, listen, you have to walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I'm not a Luddite, you all I'm not advocating that we do away with all technology or anything like that. What I am saying is that we take an honest account of our lives and ask ourselves the question, what are the areas of my life where I am not primarily seeking to walk by the Spirit? And how do I submit those areas to Jesus in faith? What are the areas where I am primarily seeking to, or to uh, gratify the desires of the flesh? And how do I submit those to Jesus in faith? Two things real quick. In Romans 8, Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Guys, we have to pursue mental renewal 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Paul speaks so much about what we could call mental transformation, like changing the way that we think. It's clear that he believes that our actions, what we do, are totally based on where we are mentally, where our heads are at. And the chances are that most of us here, our minds are the darkest place of our life. <clears throat> Mental transformation is a primary key to a successful life in Christ. And Paul believes it's also a primary reason why non-believers struggle to see the things of God. That's in 1 Corinthians. It's why non-believers aren't illuminated to the things of God. They see it as foolishness. The Spirit opens our understanding to the beauty of the gospel, to the beauty of what Christ has done. So how do we pursue mental transformation? Well, we have to realize that at its core, it's a supernatural thing. It is something that God is working in us through the power of the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit of life living within you, then this kind of mental transformation is impossible. But if you do, turning your thought life over to the things of the Spirit is central. It's key. Turning your fear, your worry, your anxiety, your hope in other things, turning those things over to the Spirit is central. But this will not happen accidentally. And, and this may seem antiquated, but we have to center ourselves on the Scriptures. Because what we fill ourselves with directly affects where our minds are at. And so it may sound antiquated, but daily time in the Scriptures, daily time in prayer, if not multiple times daily, is something that traditionally the church has done for hundreds and hundreds of years and has pushed people to do for hundreds and hundreds of years. But the less you do that, the more that your mind will be ruled by other things. It's not hard to understand. We must give ourselves to the things of God. And so some of you know that when you do, your day is different. When you start your day in prayer, when you start your day in the Word, you know that your day is different. Just reading the Bible will not do it, though. You have to be intentional about this. You have to read the Bible with the intention that you're actually going to put into practice the things that you've read, right? It's not just about acquiring more knowledge. It's about going, man, how do I devote myself to Christ? How do I become more like him? Who was he? What did he do? How did he make decisions? How did he act? How did he operate? How do I seek to submit more and more of myself to his spirit and follow him in faith? And that is so key to what all of this is about. Secondly, in light of that, we have to practice love. If we do anything, if our mind is where it should be, then the natural product of a life focused on Christ and a mind focused on Christ is love, and specifically the love of our neighbors. Specifically the love of those around us. Romans 13 says, Oh, no one anything except love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The one who loves another person has fulfilled the law. Galatians 5 says, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the thing. This is the argument that Paul's making. 
The law alone cannot save you, or Jesus plus the law cannot save you. Jesus plus circumcision cannot save you. It is Christ alone. But when your faith is in Christ alone, and the spirit of life has come to live within you, the spirit of life transforms you to be the kind of person who lives a life that is fulfilling the law. And the law is fulfilled when we love others in the way that Christ has loved us. Isn't that fascinating? The law can't save us. It can only condemn us. It can only show us our sin. It cannot justify us. But when we are in Christ, the thing that God desires for us is that the action of our lives would be a fulfillment of the intention of the law. But it's taken him to accomplish that within us. I want to close this morning with a quote. And this is not a quote from somebody who was a Christian. In fact, I think he was an atheist. However, what he says is so true, and it could have been taken directly from Paul. Listen to this. This is from an author named David Foster Wallace, who actually killed himself back in the 1990s in hopelessness. He says, everybody worships. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship, worship is, he says, they're unconscious. They're default settings. So even though he didn't know it, and even though this wasn't his intention, what he was actually taking notice of as an unbeliever was the fact that we are not all inherently good, no matter what our culture tells us today. In fact, our default setting is to pursue things that have nothing to do with Christ, to seek to find our hope in money or sex or beauty and not the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Paul was recognizing the same thing. We are all slaves to something. The interesting thing about the freedom that he's advocated in Christ is actually slavery. In fact, the language of the New Testament is this. No longer will we be slaves to sin, Instead, now we submit ourselves as slaves to Christ. He hasn't set us free to be our own master, thank the Lord. He has set us free so that he might be our master. No longer controlled by sin, no longer ruled by those things of this world and our culture that would seek to pull us away from him, but ruled by him. And so this morning, let us pray that we would be the kind of people who are seeking through the Spirit to renew our minds, to devote ourselves even more fully 
for the gospel of Jesus. And in doing so, the product, not of our lives, just as individuals, but literally the product of the body would be love. That other people would look to us in our lives and interactions and see the gospel. And at the same time, hear the gospel. That we would be prepared to give an account for the hope that is in us. Let us pray to that end this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace and love as we see on the cross as we begin this new year together. As followers of Jesus, Father, I pray that we are encouraged and reminded that you have not set us free so that we might be slaves to things of this world, but instead you have set us free so that we might devote ourselves fully to Jesus as our Lord. Father, give us a heart that longs for that, that longs to be free from seeking after things that only leave us feeling empty or leave us feeling meaningless. Let us find our true worth and value and identity in the person of Christ. We thank you for everything you've done for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Father, fill us with your spirit as we leave this place today. Give us eyes to see our neighbors in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and our families. Give us eyes to see those around us. Give us mouths that proclaim the gospel and lives that seek to demonstrate your gospel in all ways. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.